All right, again, I'm Van. Um, I'm actually, I co-lead campus here with my lovely wife, Naomi. Can you wave your hand? Yeah. I co-lead campus here. And we're actually in our final week of our series, Beyond, as you can see on the screen there. And we're just going to be talking about multi-generational faith, okay? And I'm actually an example of multi-generational faith, okay? I got, um, I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't truly surrender to him until college. And then uh, my best friend in college, he started going to a Bible study, and it just so happened that the Bible study was a part of Every Nation Campus Ministries on NC State. And I met this guy. Um, he became my uh, discipler, and his name was Eric. So God bless Eric and, and what he did in my life. And he knew it was important to reach the campus, knowing that God would allow him to reach and influence the next generation, which would grow up, me, to reach people he never could in his lifetime. How many, how, how many of us know that we can't reach every single person on this planet? We'll never travel all over the world. We would like to. But we'll never get there. So if we implant seeds in other people, they will come out into other different regions and scatter the seed, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Father, we thank you for this morning. I just ask, Lord Father, let it be all of you and none of me, and that you would empower me with your Holy Spirit to preach your word. Lord Father, that you would love on each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get to the word. Hebrews eleven twenty two. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Now, we have you know, some family that have passed away. If you move back to the States, how many of you would like to take their bones? No? Isn't that kind of like, like I don't want to touch a dead person's bones? But Joseph is saying, take my bones with you. And what we're going to be looking at today is, why did the writer of Hebrews only mention of Joseph commanding them to take his bones when they, leaved, when they left Egypt? Didn't Joseph have faith for all the other miraculous or splendid things God did in his life? We're going to get to that a little bit later on. But what I want to do now is we're going to look at Joseph's life. I'm going to try to give a quick recap of what he went through. So Joseph, the movie. All right, Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, which was Jacob's beloved wife. And I'm, I'm not going to get too much into that story, but Joseph had brothers born before him, his half-brothers, and they hated him. They didn't like him because his father showed a lot of love to Joseph. His father loved him so much that he gave him a colorful robe. And today that would probably be like, I don't know, a $1,000 leather jacket to us. 
You know, something, something really, really nice. And the brothers saw this. So they became jealous of him. And in his young life, as a teenager, he would have dreams. And he had two particular dreams that were prophetic. And one of those dreams was the second one being of the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing before him. And that sun and moon and 11 stars represented his family. So, you know, being an immature teenager, what does he do? Hey, hey, Judah, hey, Reuben, hey, brothers, guess what dream I had? The sun, the moon, and 11 stars was bowing before me. What do you think about that? It's pretty cool, right? Oh, I hate that guy. Why, why, why is he bragging about this? You know, so he told his brothers that, and they became even more jealous and hated him more. One day, Joseph uh, came to meet his brothers. They were out in the field, and they were tending to the, uh, Jacob's flock. And, you know, I think it was about two days travel or something like that, and they saw him coming from far off, and he said, oh, man, here, here, here Joseph comes. I hate this guy. You know what? Let's kill him. Let's kill this guy. We're about, you know, good times away from, from our father. He's old. Let's kill this guy. But they ended up sparing his life, and they ended up selling him to traders, to slave traders who were Ishmaelites. And those Ishmaelite traders ended up send, uh, selling him to Potiphar in Egypt, which was the captain of the guard. To Pharaoh. So he goes from being this beloved son with this really, really nice coat to becoming a slave in Egypt. But you know, God loved him. God loved his son. So he began to put favor on Joseph and bless him so much that he became the very lead in Potiphar's house. He was in charge of everything. Now, Joseph was a, he was still young, and because he was probably working, he, he, he had a good body, you know, and he was handsome. That's what the Bible tells us. So, unfortunately, Potiphar's wife began to take a liking to him and lusted after Joseph. And several times, she would put advances on him. And he was like, no, no, you need, you need to stay away. You need to leave me alone. But one day, she took it a little bit too far. And they struggled and they struggled. And he, he got away, he ran away. But she had what he was wearing in her hands. And she wrongly, she wrongly accused him of rape. And of course, Potiphar finds out. And we see Joseph is put in jail. So again, he finds himself in a situation that, he, that we wouldn't want to be in. He goes from being a beloved son to being a slave, and then he works his way up, trusting in God, and then all of a sudden, he's back at the bottom. But God doesn't forget about Joseph. He begins blessing him again. So much that he becomes in charge of the whole prison. So he put favor on Joseph with the warden. Everything that happened in that prison, 
was in, uh, Joseph was in charge of. And I don't know what was going on. You know, maybe he was just walking around and, and one day he meets the cupbearer and the chief baker of the Pharaoh. And I don't know what the cupbearer did, but um, the chief baker, I don't know, maybe he made some nasty cookies. I don't know. Maybe he didn't make the cheesecake the way Pharaoh did, uh, liked it. And he said, you know what, you're going to jail. So they both have dreams. And here is Joseph's prophetic gift working again. And that's, that's a testimony. You could be young and be used by God. You don't have to wait till you're 25, 28, 30 for your spiritual gifts to start flourishing. Okay? You can be young and be used by God. So he ends up telling them what their dreams mean. And the cupbearer actually gets restored, but we find out that the chief baker, he gets impaled on a pole. And Joseph told them what was going to happen. Years go by, and the cupbearer, he forgets all about Joseph until Pharaoh starts having a dream that he cannot figure out. And he's, like, and he's going to all his fake prophets and, and I, I don't know, psychics or whatever. And he's saying, can you please tell me what this dream means? And no one can interpret it. And then the cupbearer, it's just like, oh, man, I'm sorry, Pharaoh. There's this guy I met in prison, and I had a dream, and he told me what it meant, and it, and it came to pass because I'm here with you now. And Pharaoh's like, you know what? You need to go get that man right now because I have to know what this dream means. So Joseph comes into Pharaoh's presence, and Joseph says, you know, tell me the dream. Okay. Let me go to God about it. Let me see what this dream means. And then he comes back and he tells Pharaoh what it means. God's favor over Joseph shows its mightiest feet yet. Joseph is elevated to the second highest rank in all of Egypt, just under Pharaoh. So you see this pattern. He's up, down, up, down. And now he's up. I mean, up. No one's higher than him, than the Pharaoh himself. Can you imagine Pharaoh? I mean, he was like, man, I, got, I ain't got to do nothing. I got, I got this guy who has a, a magnificent God that tells him about dreams, that gives him great, awesome plans. I can just sit back and eat grapes and take baths and milk. You know, stretch out in the sun. He was probably really, really happy. But I believe through this time, Joseph realized God had a greater purpose for everything that had happened. Greater than his dreams, greater than his accomplishments, his testimonies, even his titles. And what was that great purpose? It was to save Joseph's family. And we know that Joseph's family, which were all the brothers under Jacob, would later on become the mighty nation of Israel. See, Pharaoh's dreams, he had two dreams. 
And I'm just going to tell you about, uh, well, both of them pretty much said that there, there was going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. Really, really bad. So much that it would erase the memory of the seven years of abundance. But through Joseph, God saved his people. He gave them a great plan of how to store the food so that they would have food for seven years. And because Joseph was so wise and he had so much favor on him, Pharaoh said, you know what? You can bring your family down here. Why don't they move to Egypt? And I'll give them the best land. I'm going to give them the best land. Joseph never settled. And what I mean by this, he never settled for living inside a bubble. Through that, through that whole experience he went through, Joseph's bubble. He learned to not become concerned with just his own life. He realized that other people's lives mattered too. During his stint of slavery or his prison sentence, he never had this me, myself, and I theory philosophy going on. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to look out for myself. Because a lot of times in those situations, we can become like that. We get down and out. We get in a situation that we don't like. I have to survive. You know what, I'm not going to worry about this person off to the left or the right of me. I'm going to make sure I get mine. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to live right or to the best of my ability. He didn't let himself get drowned in bitterness or unforgiveness toward his brothers. You know, sometimes we can get in that state and we can actually become depressed and not really care anymore. But he didn't allow that to happen. He had faith to trust in God, even though he was in situations that weren't the best for him. What about a guy named Desmond T. Doss? Does that name ring a bell? He won the Congressional Medal of Honor during World War II for saving 75 wounded soldiers during the Battle of Okinawa. He's the give me one more, Lord, guy. Is that ringing a bell, Hexar Ridge? Who's seen that movie? Amen. Mr. Doss didn't settle. So, you know, they're, they're, they're ramping up this offensive to take Hexar Ridge. And why did they give that place a name? You know, if you remember the movie, they had to climb up on ladders. And as soon as they get up there, we're talking about the enemies like, bloop, 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 bloop. machine guns and everything. And whoever pretty much went up on that hill, I think that's why they said Hacksaw, because I'm, I'm not trying to get too graphic. But the bullets will eat you up. So they're, they're talking about overtaking Hacksaw Ridge. And, and uh, you know, to get to the point, uh, man, things uh, bad start to happen. And, and a lot of people start dying. But instead of retreating, God gave him the bravery and the courage to save people. Again, 75 wounded people. So in that moment, he could have settled and rested saving his own life. But he didn't settle for just preserving his future, but put his at risk for the sake of wounded soldiers. He thought about what God had given him in that very moment. Arms and legs to crawl, to carry, 
and bring soldiers to safety. Lungs to breathe, a heart to keep his body moving, his very life in that moment to be used by God to rescue others. John 15, 13 says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Joseph and Mr. Doss didn't settle. They thought about others. They thought about the future. So let me ask you this question. Are you using what God has given you? Is it being used in an effort to see the next generation prosper? See, God is faithful to fulfill your dreams, your purposes, you know, all of us individually. But we must remember this one thing. It is not all about us. It will never, ever be all about us. God can do some miraculous and splendid things in your life. He can bring some of your desires true. Those dreams he's been putting in your mind and heart, he can bring those true. But it's always for a greater purpose and will always be used to give him glory. Matthew 16, 25 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. See, if we settle, if we focus only on our path, where it begins and where it ends and nothing beyond it. We can become so self-absorbed that we put our very own destiny in danger. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to endanger the destiny God has for me because I love him and I want to honor him. The specific things that God wants to do in your life don't be so absorbed in self that you'll never get there. Your destiny involves so much more than just you. It impacts people around you. It gives God all the glory. You'll do things that you never thought you could because the Holy Spirit is living in you. So imagine this. Imagine a puzzle that creates a huge picture of the entire earth. And you're just one of the many billions of pieces in that puzzle. Your piece, your life, is part of the bigger picture of Micronesia. So focus in on Micronesia on that puzzle. Fulfilling God's specific plans for your life will allow you to take part in God's overall plan for the islands. Make an impact that will last for generations here in Micronesia. As we know, a puzzle can't be complete without a piece. You can have all the pieces, but like, you know, I, I have kids and they have puzzles. And they'll put a puzzle together, but there'll be a missing piece there or the corner's missing there. Because, you know, the kids, they really <laughs> don't keep track of things well. But I'm like, that puzzle's not complete. Where's your other pieces? Oh, it's under the couch. Oh, I don't know. You know, my little Catriel, she likes to cook with uh, the puzzle pieces, so they go everywhere. <laughs> we play our restaurant. <laughs> but make an impact that will last for generations here and now. 
in Micronesia. So heading back to Joseph, let me get a sip of water. He saw the bigger picture. And the reason why he did because, uh, was because he remembered God's promise. So let's take a look at Genesis 50. Oh, that's supposed to be 24, 25. Sorry. <laughs> Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers. But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the, to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, Isaac. I heard that before. I think that's that proper way, Isaac. And to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. Let's see that original promise. We're going to go back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, which is also Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. Israel has been a blessing to others. I mean, if you do your research, there's some very, very smart Jewish people. Some very rich Jewish people, too. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. And curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Joseph's faith was generational. And we're getting to the reason why the writer of Hebrews wrote about Joseph and his bones. He didn't write about Joseph and his faith to trust in God to give the right interpretation of a dream. You know, he didn't tell about Joseph's faith when he's in bad situations, trusting in God that God would get him out and bless him. No, he, he said, you know, when Joseph commanded them to take his bones out of Egypt, because he remembered the promise. This is what the writer of Hebrews is showing us, how God purposes can span generations and how we can have the faith for that. And with that faith, we can come alongside God in working to prepare the next generation to carry on in God's purposes. So in this church, how can we put that faith into action? Campus. Campus. Let's pour into our campus students. But let's pour into our campus students. I mean, they're so important, every nation put it in, the, in their statement. It says, we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. Not just churches, but campus ministries. Why is campus so important? Let's look at what Rice Brooks says. He's actually the co-founder of Every Nation. He says here, it's the battleground where hearts and minds will be captured. The battleground. 
Man, I took a philosophy class. So many different ways of thinking. So many different theologies that, frankly, the devil has put in this world to trip us up. So it is an actual battleground for the mind of the student. You know, some people go, go to college and, they're, and they're, their belief system is still not formed. And if they don't have a foundation in Jesus Christ, they go in these classes and they get messed up. They get messed up. Christians who go to college and they're not firm in their foundation. They've built their foundation on sand. Sometimes different arguments. You know, the devil is the father of lies. He's really good at it. Really, really good. So sometimes they can go into these classes and they can hear these arguments for other faiths. And then, you know, you know what? I don't think Christianity is true. I might try this Buddhism for a while. See, it's, see if it works for me. You know, there's so many different theologies and ways of thinking. But campus is so important because leaders are trained there. Movements, m- movements are birthed there and values in society are impacted from the campus. Another uh, famous Christian, Ravi Zacharias. If you've watched him on YouTube, he's always in an auditorium type setting. It is most likely he's on a campus or a university. This is what it says on his website. RZIM prioritizes reaching colleges and universities because of the potential to influence leaders of the next generation. If Robbie Zacharias thinks it's important to reach the student, we should. We should empower our youth. What if you don't have ties to campus? What about the, the new recruit in your office? What about if you're a teacher in here? All those students you see, the next generation. What if you're a coach? I know, where's Elias? Coach. You know, and I mean, we're parents in here. What about our kids? Next generation right there, right in your household. (laughs) You see them every day. Empower them to walk in the footsteps of Christ. Let's never forget that we have the most precious gift in Jesus Christ that needs to be passed down. We should ask ourselves, does our faith in the next generation, or do I have faith in the next generation? And if I do, are my works confirming that? You know, we can have faith but do nothing. Our works confirm the faith, and our works confirm our faith. It's it's a back and forth thing. You got to have both. I run 0.01Ks. I don't run 3Ks or 4Ks or 5. I think usually it's 5 and 10. I have another college story. Who likes college stories for me? Usually. So, 
I forgot what, no, maybe I was a sophomore or something. But you know, I said, you know what, I'm going to get in shape, stop eating these honey buns. So I was putting a little, little bit right there. I said, you know what, I'm going to sign up for a running and conditioning class. Keep in mind, I hadn't been running at all. So I go to the, flat, uh, the, the class for the first time, and we meet on the, the field that we um, have flag football on. You know, we're sitting down on the grass. I hate sitting on the grass, by the way. I get itchy. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Um, <laughs> but we're sitting on the grass, and, and he's like, okay, we're going to go for a warm-up run. So there's about 60, 70 people in the classes. There's a lot of people out there. And this guy's tall. He's like 6'2", so you know his stride is good. He's like, you know, effortless for him. So we start going on a, on a warm-up run. So I'm like in there, okay, this is good, man. I feel good. I'm feeling good, man. And, you know, I'm, I'm six foot, and I'm trying to work on my stride. And these people in front of me. So I'm like, man, I'm feeling kind of claustrophobic right now. I want to get out to the side, you know, and, and, feel, and feel the wind in my face. So I'm running, and I'm feeling so good that I get a little bit more, you know, ambitious. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the front. So imagine me passing about 40 to 50 students running. And, you know, just, I'm just going to throw it out there. This is a stereotype. We're sprinters, and we're not really long-distance runners. So I'm passing the, the, the crowd, and, and there's some people like, look at him going up there, you know? So I get to the front, and this guy, I mean, he's a professional. His, he got, like, the perfect stride, perfect running formation. And I get up there, and I'm just looking real straight. I'm not even looking at it. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, work on my stride. And, you know, I got to admit, we were kind of going fast. You know, but he was looking, looking real, real easy with it. And he just simply glances over. I see him out the corner of my eye. He was like, okay. And he was probably thinking, like, what is this guy doing? I know he don't run. Look at his form. <laughs> so we get done with our warm-up run, and, you know, we're sitting down, catching our breath. And this guy turns, turns around and says, okay, now we're about to run a mile. We're going to test you on your, on your mile. I was like, what? I thought we were just going to have a warm-up, and he was going to give us a syllabus, and we get to go home. Now we have to run more. So we start this mile run, and I think I start off a little bit too fast. I was like, you know what? I'm st- I, I think I was doing good. Let me start off maybe at that pace. I want to I put in a good time. And guess what happens? Vansville gasses out. <laughs> and the same people I passed while in the warm-up run, they go by, <laughs> they actually was laughing at me. I'm like, oh. Oh, oh. And, 
you know, almost like maybe 75, 80% of the class, you know, finishes before me. And we're all sitting there, and I finally get to the huddle, and I'm sitting on the ground just trying to catch my breath. And, and I, this is the one thing I, heard, uh, I remember the teacher saying. He says, you know what? Uh, let's pace ourselves. Make sure you're not pushing yourself too hard. And everyone in the class knew it was about me. Perfect example. You know, I'm one of the last to finish. But what I want to get, that, get at from that story is don't be so focused on the now. Think about the future. I was so focused on that warm-up run that I didn't think that there was going to be more. I gassed out. I thought, I thought about the here and now when I was warming up. And I didn't think about that future. Let's not just be so focused on our life and our now. Let's be more focused or at the same time on the next generation because we're not going to be here. Just like Steve Merle says, a hundred years from now, will life in the sun still be thriving, preaching the gospel, spreading Christ, impacting the nations, reaching the campus? We have to empower our youth. And this actually applies to the students. <laughs> Do we just want to focus on our studies? Am I telling myself, I, ju I just want to get through campus. I just want to get through college. I just want to graduate. Let me tell you guys, you have so much more to offer campus than just your time your academics, your support for organization, your money, so much more. You have Jesus Christ to offer the campus. You say, change the campus, change the world. I'm going to tell all the students here, let God use you to make a mark in your generation to impact Micronesia and even the world. God wants to use you. God's, God wants to partner with you. So have faith for the generations. What, what will we see if we have faith for the generations? Number one, God's plan for your life will come to pass. It's not always going to be peachy and good, but it's just like the bad, nasty medicine your mom used to give you. It's good for you. Number two, the generation, uh, the next generation will be empowered and ready to run when we pass the baton. Let's get them ready. Number three, God's ultimate plan will be achieved. And guess what? You get to be a part of it. So family, don't miss the boat. Don't miss what God has planned. So in closing... I want to just take a quick look at Jesus. You know, he was a great example of never settling and having faith for the next generation, for all the believers that will come. You know, he could have started 2,000 years ago his physical reign. He could have said, you know what? I'm bringing down my angels right now. I'm not even going to let you touch me. I'm not even going to let you whip me. I'm not even going to let you put those nails in my wrist, in my, in my feet. 
I'm not going up on the cross. I'm starting my reign now. He could have did that. But he had faith in his God. And he wanted us to participate in what God would do in the here and now. He wanted us to have the opportunity to participate in what the Father's doing here in Micronesia. And that also gives us a great picture of how we as parents and leaders in this church should allow the young men and women and children to be a part of it as well. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son and the great example he shows us in having faith for the next generation. Well, Father, I ask you through your Holy Spirit that you would empower us. Give us everything we need to empower the next generation. Well, Father, let us live with integrity. Let us live with power and anointing so that the next generation can look up at us and say, you know what, I want to live like that. You know what, I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I have a discipler or I have a mentor that knows what to do, that will hold me up, that will pray for me. Give us the power, what we need to empower the next generation. And I want to give the opportunity to anyone in here right now who doesn't have a relationship with God and wants to participate in what he has planned. If God is knocking on your heart saying, hey, son, daughter, I have great plans that I want you to participate in. Great plans to prosper you. Great plans not to harm you. I love you. If you could just look up at me right now and our eyes would meet. Is there anyone in here that wants to enter into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? You can simply just look up at me right now. Maybe raise your hand and I'll see it. And we'll pray for you. Is there anyone in here right now? I see you there. Anyone else? I see you there. Anyone? If you feel that in your heart, if you feel God calling you, don't dismiss it. Last chance. Anyone else? Okay. Let's pray. And what you can do is you can just piggyback off my words. Lord Father, I realize that you love me. I realize that I need your grace in my life. I come before you today and I humbly ask for your forgiveness of, of every sin, every shortcoming that has happened in my life.
And I give them to you right now. And I ask that you would come into my, come into my heart in the form of the Holy Spirit. Come right now, Father. I pray that you would show me how to love. And show me how to walk each and every day in your word. Give me your wisdom. Give me your truth. And give me your favor. In Jesus' name. And one more prayer for all of us in here. Well, Father, I just ask that you protect every one of us. As we go through life, as we go through challenges, I pray, Lord, Father, that you would give us insight to what you're doing. Give us wisdom. And that you would show us that it's never, ever about us. That we would never settle for just our own future. But we would notice the brothers and sisters around us. That we would notice the people around in our workplace. That we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. And that we would impact that we would share your word and bring life to everywhere we go. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.